Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Say Who Say Pod. He is Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. I uh, hope everybody had a good holiday season. Hope you enjoyed the Alamo Bowl. Uh, the Washington Huskies finished the 2022 season, year one of Kalen DeBoer, with an 11-2 and record after beating the Texas Longhorns 27-20. to Only the fifth team in program history, Danny, to win 11 games, which... Good. Good for them. I mean what it used to, but it still means something. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to the dogs. That was a it was a it was a great way to wrap up the season. The defense played well. Like that was that was some defensive improvement. They hit some people. Yeah, the the tackling in particular mm-hmm. was like strikingly better. It just seemed like there was not a lot of you know, in the Oregon game and a number of other games this year when the, an Oregon ball carrier has the ball in space and he, and he has a one-on-one opportunity against the defender. You just assume he's going to make him miss. And, and there didn't seem to be a lot of that against Texas. It seemed like they wrapped up well. Um, there were a couple, you know, they got a receiver wide open out of the backfield that led to their first touchdown or maybe their first field goal. Um, and they, they hit some stuff in the fourth quarter when I think Washington had, had softened up a little bit. But um, there was, yeah, there was I, also I think, a pretty big drop in there. <laughs> Well, two on on consecutive plays. Oh, so brutal! I felt, and then I re- and then re- reading and watching the people's reaction, like that dude has that rep at Texas. Like that's he's he's not known for his hands. And it's the it's the the frustrating combo of he's I think very clearly their biggest playmaker. Yes, um, and like maybe their their most talented athlete. He is he's a He's a hell of a player with the ball in his hands, but yeah, he's he's had some drops issues for sure. And and then watching, and I actually thought like Texas's players responded to it pretty pretty well. Like I, I there's there's part of me Christian that will always feel bad when like the dude with the rep for dropping balls drops a ball and everybody's just like, okay, I'm so sick of this. And like you can just see that they've they've gone past the point of being supportive teammates and they just can't do it anymore. And that always just makes me feel bad. It it's there's maybe it gets back to when I was a sophomore in high school starting at a new school in a new state and I didn't have anybody to eat lunch with. And like that has remained like a very tr- like a very there's a lot of evidence that um I actually can make friends and am socially uh adept yet what sticks out to me is the loser that first day of school like there's a little <laughs> bit of me so I feel sympathy when it and it I, I mean like I thought yours responded like really like affirming to him but that that sunk the Texas didn't have a chance after that happened like the game the in my mind the game was pretty much over after that second drop yeah, and you know, Ewers did exactly what you want your quarterback to do after you drop a big pass. It went right back to him. Absolutely, he th- he made a. I mean, that was a great throw up the sideline uh, on the first one. He's. I I don't think that actually was technically scored as a drop, which is, yeah. I disagree with. But yeah. he, he you know he has to catch that ball. He hit it. So he, he, he hit doesn't make the play. Ah, dang, whatever. Literally, next play, he's wide open up the seam. Ewers goes right back to him. That one's a touchdown. If he catches that and scores, everyone forgets about the one before. It doesn't matter. You yep. totally made up for it. It's a big play touchdown. You're celebrating in the end zone. And yeah, when he dropped that one, it was just like, oh my goodness, that was a that was a massive break. Especially when he you know he'd won to get open up the sideline on the previous play, and then you let him get wide open a second time. And ooh, yeah, that was. That was critical. It was um, It was also a reminder, like, those two plays. Like, it was where I was like, yeah, you know what, man? Sark can call some stuff. Like, Sark can call it. And I, 
I do have a lot of criticisms of Sark. Uh, and what not 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 just the 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 the, the personal man, but how he managed the program when he was at Washington. But even when he was at Atlanta, there were a lot of people of this guy can't call plays and this guy. Like he is one of the better he's one of the better play callers in high level football. And the the fact of how he how quick the getting him open again like that, like that wasn't that wasn't an accident. Like that was Sark. That was Sark wanting to get the ball back to him in a position to come up from that. And it worked perfectly. Like he couldn't have everything worked. The throw was there and then the poor dude just dropped it again. So I and maybe it's just because I it's not something that I had stopped to consider before the game, but my biggest takeaway from being there was just how long and how how purely I guess Washington celebrated this win. Um, it it really felt like they were they were putting an exclamation point on a season that they were really really proud of. Like it did not feel like a because I've covered bowl wins before. Mm-hmm. They you know they won the Vegas Bowl in 2019 and they won the Heart of Dallas Bowl in 2015 and um, yeah this this wasn't really that like this this felt like. If you were just on the field and watched the way they celebrated and the confetti and the fireworks and the balloons and all that, like you might have thought they'd won a New Year's Six game. And I guess the Alamo Bowl isn't like super far from that, right? It's the next best bowl you can go to if you're a Pac-12 team. But um, they they enjoyed this one, and you know they this this season meant a lot to this program, and I think especially for for guys who were around last year and had gone through 2020, and you know it had been a long time since they'd they'd put a a product on the field that they were really proud of. I think to finish it that way, to get a bowl win and, and go into the off season with that, um, that momentum, especially, you know, knowing what they've got back next year. I I don't know that I, I quite anticipated the, the way that they were going to celebrate, but it was a very, it was a very joyous uh, post game scene on the field there at the Alamo dome. Why do you, why do you think that is? Cause there's one is the, the sort of the shadow that last season cast, right? the worst Husky season since Tyrone 0-12, 2008. Like, I, I, think, I think that's pretty safe to say. Like, last year was the worst season that, that, that the schools had since then. And you have your coach fired midway through the season after, after hitting a player on the sideline. There's also the excitement of Kalen DeBoer, right? That it's the culminating his first season, and it's an incredibly high point on which to start like that's this is a better season than I would have thought was possible like this is this is at the extreme high end of best case scenarios like they they really I did not dare to think that they were going to win double digit games I hope they get to a bowl game I thought they could win nine games but like this is this is real upper reaches of the best potential scenario and then you also have the idea that there is a sense that it's not completely the end because so many guys are coming back and so many guys, and that was reflected by how many guys played in the game. Like they didn't have anybody sit out. Texas is missing some of their best players who are understandably like for who, for what I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to endanger my pro prospects. What do you think the, like the, all three of those factors, but one of them has got to be the, the main, what one of them has to have the biggest slice of the pie to use Hugh Millen terminology. I think a big part of it was that they felt like they should have been playing for a Pac-12 championship. Uh-huh. And the, you know, the tiebreakers went how they went. Yeah. And hey, you know, beat Arizona State then. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think they understand that. 
Um, but they, they really felt like by the end of the year, they were playing like one of the best teams in the Pac-12 and that they, they should have been there. Like ZTF put it, I think, he, you know, he said, this is the second time now that I've had to watch the Pac-12 championship from the couch when we should have been in it. Yeah. That's how he put it. Yeah. Referring to 2020. Um, so I think there was a, a little bit of feeling of, of mm-hmm. unfinished business that it's bittersweet that, yeah, you went 10 and two and had all these great wins on the way up, but that you still fell short of something that you knew you were capable of competing for. Mm-hmm. So I think um, not not wallowing in that and, and understanding that, well, you, you do at least still get to go play another game against a pretty good team and a good program uh, in a, you know, a, a bowl game that's going to be well attended and well watched, then, you know, yeah, that's, by the way, do you know more people watched the Cheez-It Bowl and the Alamo Bowl than the Cotton Bowl? That's wild to me. The Cotton Bowl is a great game. It It is. So I, I saw that, and this is my – we've been told for how long that it, all that matters is TV, right? Mm-hmm. That's USC. And, I, I mean, granted, it's it's USC not at the high – like they thought they were going to – play for a college they 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 were headed toward a spot in the college football playoff but that's a usc team with a heisman trophy winner and yeah and they're not they're not getting that rating like isn't i have my own theories and beliefs about la as a tv market and and what eyeballs but what i what i (laughs) i stopped my initial reaction was i was led to believe that usc was essential to the healthy future (laughs) of any conference's television market ho 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 why aren't you drawing a better number in the cotton bowl then you fools it was also the least watched rose bowl ever uh as reported by by the athletics Stuart mandel um that those games were, were played on a monday yeah that relates to the scheduling um the the rose bowl does I'm I'm not gonna I, I'm gonna completely disregard that for USC and just laugh at them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about fairness. Plus, they choked. How hilarious was that? <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, what was the stat? E- ESPN tweeted, I think, that teams leading or teams trailing by 15 with five minutes left in the last 15 years of college football were like one in 1,162 or something. And and they managed to do it. I knew they yeah. could. I saw someone tweet out. It was like, oh, USC has encountered its Achilles heel, which is the slightest hint of adversity. <laughs> 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 yeah, there was uh, there was not a lot of backing the pack going on uh, on on the old Twitter timeline in the last five minutes of that game. You there were a couple of you can't really. I'm sure, I'm sure from other programs as well, but I definitely saw a couple of Washington players I follow. Uh, reveling in it well you usc is i would actually say usc might now be again more hated than than oregon um for a while i've felt that oregon is the one that is post pete carroll oregon had shifted into the most resented program uh within the conference i kind of think it's back to usc now and definitely the fact that they're leaving accentuates that uh one of my one of my favorite revelations uh over my holiday trip to yosemite uh for thanksgiving was the discovery that how adamant a usc hater my grandfather was his name was babo robert o'neill and babo babo was the the big football fan within our family like he was my dad liked football but didn't love it and then 
I don't remember him a ton. He died when I was like 11. But I do remember like sitting at his, like right next to him during the Doug Flutie Hail Mary in 1984. But people were going on and on this time about how much he hated USC. And I was like, yes, I come by my antagonism. It is my lineage, my birthright. So somewhere Baba was happy watching him get collapse against the Tulane Green Wave. <laughs> cool team Tulane has. Yeah. Team. Yeah, it was a fun team to watch. Um. But, but back to the to the Alamo Bowl, uh, I th- I think it's it's the combination of yeah having feeling feeling like they should have been playing for more uh, while still having this one opportunity to kind of go out and prove that, and then also like the just the momentum that that the the program has built up over the last month. You 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 can't have Braylon Trice and ZTF say they're coming back, and Tuli Latuli Nasanoa says he's coming back. Jalen McMillan's coming back. Obviously, Michael Penix Jr. was the big one who's who set the whole thing off and. You can't have all those announcements and think that that team's going to go out and lay an egg, mm-hmm. you know? Like, they just they had a lot of forward momentum, uh, a lot of people already talking about next year. I, I think they were um, – they felt very good about themselves as a program and as a team going into that game, and yeah, I, I think the, the celebration was just kind of a, a culmination of, of all these milestones that they sort of hit on the way back up this year. Like, I was talking to Jackson Kirkland afterward, and – I just said, hey, if you know, if if, I, if someone told you right after you got out of surgery in in February, and you don't even know if if you're going to be allowed to play college football again, you, you've got to pull out of the draft and all this stuff. That like, hey, don't worry, like you're going to go eleven and two and win the Alamo Bowl. You know, he, he was like, I'd have said you were crazy. Yeah, he's like, I just I would have been, you know, we were just scrapping to get back into a bowl game. You know, so I now I think it became apparent pretty early in the season that like a a, a a swift turnaround was definitely possible, and after Michigan State, you know they're three and zero, and clearly the offense is way better, and you know the 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 sky sort of felt like the limit there. But um, I, I think it was a it was as positive of a season as they could possibly have had without either playing for a Pac-12 championship or playing in a major bowl game. And it goes back to was it no we didn't talk about this. I was I was on the radio recently, and someone asked like. It was before the Alamo Bowl. You know, do you is Washington maybe better off with a game like this against a blue blood brand who isn't necessarily playing at the level of a blue blood right now, but it's still a big spotlight game. You know, would you rather if you're Washington, would you rather be in that kind of game than be in USC's position where you're in the cotton bowl but you're playing against Tulane and maybe the you know, maybe the wind doesn't carry as much if you do pull it off and I said no. I think you'd rather be in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. Like, if you've yes. got a chance to be in a New Year's Six game, and obviously, like, Tulane's pretty freaking good, as we saw. So it's not like that would have been a, you know, a win people would have poo-pooed. But this was, I think, as, as, as good of a stage as they could have asked for outside the New Year's Six, as it turned out. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I thought, and they played well, and it looked good. Uh, also, the colors were aesthetically pleasing. Like, yeah. I think we mentioned that. Like, it looked like a good game. Like it, it was it was it was not the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. <laughs> like, like it was a serious, earnest bowl game. And, and then, man, they, Alamo Bowl does a great job. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about that because I mean that's what people have said for years about the Sun Bowl is that people rip on El Paso and and all those things, but the Sun Bowl is a great experience and they really go out of their way. San Antonio is a fun city. Did you have a good time? Yeah, I didn't get out a ton. I went and ate ate at a Mexican restaurant on the Riverwalk yeah. and. Um, the river walks better at night than it is during the day. 
Yeah, in and the, probably better when you're like 22. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. But in general, like when you get out there during the day, you're like, oh, oh, that 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 water looks unhealthy. Whereas at night, it's kind of like, oh, you don't see the exact lack of clarity and just how opaque uh, the, the 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 liquid is. The logistics for the bull like could not possibly be any better because the the hotel is on the river walk. The mm-hmm. Alamo Dome is less than a mile from the hotel. The shuttles do the game are literally golf carts because they don't even have to go on the road. Like they can, they, they pick you up in golf carts and take you <laughs> like weave their way down the sidewalk through the crowds, like literally right to the media entrance. It could not be any easier. Um, the, I mean, the press row is closer to the field than probably any stadium I've ever been in. So it's a, it's a good place to cover a game. Obviously it's, it's inside. I would not say it's a dome. It's called the Alamo dome. Right. It's more it's- of an, an indoor structure. But they've got the... Do they still have the weird... It almost looks like there's four, like, pyres out front where, like, they're poles with... It looks like almost like it's arranged for a flame to be lit at the top of it. Like, it's a weird-looking structure itself. Yeah, it's 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 different. I don't know about the pyres. I don't know that I... You notice those? I, and I might Oh, no, they do. They do. They do. Yeah. I'm, I just... I'm looking at a picture now to refresh my memory. <laughs> it's a funky-looking building. Um, uh... When I covered NBA. when I covered the NBA, the Sonics would play there twice a year. And well, that's right, because the Spurs played there. Right, no, the, and then by that time, the Spurs had their own new place. It was called like the SPC Center. But I always thought the Alamo Dome was much cooler than the stupid SPC Center. It's a good place to watch a game. They announce uh, at kickoff. They say it's it's seventy two beautiful Alamo Dome degrees, <laughs> which I thought was. I was I was kind of struck actually on the field afterward. I was like, it is warm down here. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm I'm you know, there's no no concerns about uh, like they don't blast the AC or anything. It's definitely like when they say 72, it's 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 a legit 72. It's a uh, and San Antonio is pretty. It's a it's a fun it's a fun town. I always liked San Antonio. Yeah, it was a good time. I think the teams had a good time. Like they had a they went to there's a Sea World in San Antonio. Um, I didn't, which I didn't, that. I wasn't aware of. Uh, and they did, you know, dolphin interaction. And I think they went to a, a theme park and had some video guys on roller coaster. And so I think they, the, the people who work for the bull have been doing it for a long time. I think they kind of got it down to a science and everything's run very smoothly, very efficiently. You know, they've got answers to all your questions and um, it was a very, uh, very, very positive experience just from, you know, the, the most important thing, how, how was it for the media? Right. That's what everyone's thinking about. <laughs> um, but in case, in case anyone was wondering, it was a, uh, it was, it was as, as efficient and as, as easy of a, a bowl game to cover as, as you can imagine. Everything's very centrally located and it's in, like you said, a good city where you can have a good time. And, um, I don't, you know, it's, it's the number two bowl. There are years where, Based on what expectations are, you might be happy to be there um, for where Washington is going, or at least where it thinks it's going. I think they would they would like it to remain kind of a uh, a step on the ladder on the way up. You know, if I told you right now they're going to be back in the Alamo Bowl in 2023, I think that would be a disappointment based on what huge what people think this team is capable of. But uh, I think it was it was befitting of of Kalen DeBoer's first year. Maybe one of those events that you look back on and say that was a that was a milestone on the way up, rather than you know, hey, gosh, remember when remember when they won the Alamo Bowl and things seemed so happy and they didn't turn out that way. You never know, but it had it kind of had that vibe to it. How do you think Sark's experience was? 
the hospitality, the hospitality of the Alamo, the the Alamo Dome and the Alamo Bowl folks. He said it was a little too much of a hands-on experience. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I always enjoy. No matter, no matter how egregious the act, the the reaction on Twitter is always outsized. Yes, like it's it's always too much. Um, We were talking about this a little bit before we got started, but. I am I I don't really like being touched. I don't <laughs> I don't like I you know someone someone putting their hands on me or poking me or whatever while they're making a point like it's it sets off this like internal reaction that I understand I understand the nature of what triggers in someone's mind when they react that way. Mm-hmm. Even as someone who doesn't like being touched, I can't fathom reacting the way that Steve Sarkeesian did to that. Yeah. Like that was I I understand not liking being touched. The reaction that he had was was ridiculously over the top. It's pretty wild to see. Um the Twitter reaction cuz my my first my initial reaction was kind of like okay, he did get touched. Like I and, but it, and then it was that's a ridiculous way to behave. But then I was also kind of like he is a he is a football coach. And it's not that I'm like, it's okay for football coaches to act that way. It's that I generally understand that in that class, the people who occupy that class of employment are not exactly the most well-balanced or uh, prone to tempering their own displays of authority. Like I were moving away from the cult of the coach, but there's a lot of coaches for a lot of years who have acted, if not in public the way Steve Sarkeesian did there have sort of treated people that way, like how they talk to players, how they talk to people that work for him. So I was kind of like, well, he, he got caught being a football coach and not to say that that's okay. And that the, the, the reaction, but the people who defend it of, cause that exists too of like, well, you shouldn't touch him. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> he, but he, it was he, it was the equivalent of someone who treats a server incredibly poorly over an understandable mistake. That was what I saw. It was like it's someone who's like their order got screwed up and he goes nuts and then refuses to leave a tip. Like that's what Steve Sarkeesian was doing. Yeah, there can be shades of gray. There doesn't need to be like a definitive one was one person was in the right and one person was in the wrong. Like I I would imagine in you know maybe 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 not. Maybe it's maybe what the the game operations person did was so so commonplace that their supervisor would say oh yeah that was he was totally out of line he shouldn't have reacted that way that was normal or maybe there's a conversation there of like okay like in the future i understand like we do literally need to hold them back in in you know if they're if they're trying to run out there before like you got to do what you got to do to keep them from but in the future whenever possible let's try not to put our hands on the head coach <laughs> you know there there may be a conversation like that um Steve Sarkeesian has enough status and makes enough money that there probably doesn't need to be a, a conversation about his behavior in particular on that. But, you know, if 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 he were to self-reflect, perhaps he might think, gosh, I, I don't know that I needed to react that way. Or just say, like, that looks terrible. Like, I, I'm embarrassed that, I, that I'm acting that way. Like, his eyes were bugging out of his head. He it was, was enraged. <laughs> he was furious. <laughs> He was so mad. And it was one of those things where it was what was weird about it is because he was so mad, yet it was very clear he wasn't going to strike anybody. 
Like there's there's different, and I've been around a lot of people that have gotten very mad in 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 a variety of different settings. His it wasn't like he was like going to shove anybody. Like it was his arms were extended straight out. It was just I'm going to scream as loudly and as profanely and as bug eyed at you as possible. <laughs> like it was wild. I've known not nothing like that, but I've I've known in the past, like when he was at Washington, uh, there were at least a time or two where he he gave a either a flippant or or you know demeaning or irritated response to a question from a reporter and then like pretty quickly after like the same day apologized mhm so i i wouldn't be surprised if he was if he saw that later or thought about it later and was like ah i wish i hadn't done that there was also a story that went around that there was a video that had been posted on one of the sites that follows the team. And it was like of practice footage. And it was when he was coach at Washington in which he, uh, really profanely berated a player, uh, in questioning his intelligence. And the person who posted the video had not listened to the audio. <laughs> oh, really? Why'd they post it? Well, because, because it was, practice footage like it wasn't they didn't oh it wasn't like here's here's steve sarkeesian berating a player no it was here's one of the drills they were running today oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the person who reads the sites like uh we have a video of steve sarkeesian calling the player so, such and such <laughs> that it comes down <laughs> it's those like Coaches treat players that way. That happens. And I don't think there was any player that played for Steve Sarkeesian at the University of Washington who saw the clip of that and reacted with, I can't believe he behaved that way. That's so out of character. Like, that's kind of, he's a little bit of a rage monster, at least when he was the Huskies coach. And it appears that that is carried through. Yeah, and it also falls in the category of like, if you've played football at any level, like a, a coach yelling at someone is just not going to register for you. Yeah. And so I always try to, I try to keep that perspective. And like I, we talked about this and the, not to compare the two situations at all because they're very different, but um, with the, the Jimmy Lake sideline incident against Oregon, you know, I, I could, as someone who never played the game of football, like I, I try to remove my own perspective from it and, and consider that of, of those who have played the game and, there were some people who played the game who would tell you flat out, like, I don't see what's wrong with that. I've had coaches grab me by the face mask, shoulder pads, whatever, or like I've seen worse or I've experienced worse or, well, back in the day that was, blah, you know. So there are, you know, people who have actually played the game are always going to have a, a different perspective. So, yeah, I don't – this in particular, when it's when it's just words, it's – it's I don't know that needs to be any anything more than like a something people – kind of comment on and, and maybe laugh at a little bit on Twitter, but it was like, when I saw that video. I was like, Whoa, like, he is really mad. <laughs> He's really mad. Uh, when you said that, what it made me think of is that I've never heard someone who's played football at a high level sort of say that, like they've never said like, it's ridiculous and you can't talk to players a certain way. Like it's generally been the, the guys that I've heard say it, Jeremy Pruitt's a great example. You remember the Tennessee coach? Was it two years ago? There was a quarterback. I think he had tried to sneak and maybe fumbled at the goal line. And as he came off, Pruitt grabbed him by the face mask. And you could tell he was like twisting it slightly. Like it wasn't hurting the kid, like the player. And the kid, he's probably 22 years old. 
but but there was immediately a reaction. Like I remember Marcus Spears, uh, who's at ESPN. I believe he played at LSU and was an NFL player for a number of years. Was like, can't put your hands on a player. Can't like that. That crosses the line. Not every former player feels that way, but there are a chunk of former players who feel that like that is crossing a line. Like you can't put your hands on me in sort of a dominant way in a come over here or listen or like cuffed the back, like trying to show dominance that it's, but I've never heard a former player talk about like words like, and, and that's what struck out to me. Like how Sarkisian's like arms are stuck straight. He didn't almost hit the guy. Like it wasn't, and I think most, I think most players' reaction would have been, yeah, like that's what a nuts coach does. And I've been around different kinds of nuts coaches, and they're not all nuts, but some of them are, and that's a nuts coach. Yeah, he was not happy. Um, Why? That, did, was, that was before they – Yeah, that was before the game, right? That was right? before they only rushed for 60-some yards. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Dave Wyman said – so Dave had an older brother, uh, Michael, who also played at Stanford. And Dave's talked about it on the air before and said that – like, Dave didn't care. Like, if a coach grabbed his face mask, it didn't bother Dave. It didn't bother Dave at all. But, like, his brother would be, like, I, like that was, like, a, a breaking point of, like, I'm not going to be treated that way. Like, you can't, like, where it's, like, a withdrawal, like, I'm not participating in this relationship anymore. So it is, I think that is a the, the question of touching someone is, but football players are used to football coaches saying wildly insane things. What uh, What was your favorite, well... We're we're gonna let's exclude the Oregon game because I think that would be such an obvious answer for you. <laughs> yeah. Outside of the Oregon game, what what was your favorite moment of this season? Oh, uh, Michigan State! Like that was a really fun game because it's it's so far in the past now that um, and Michigan State wasn't very good, but at the time, Michigan State like that was a that was that was a big game, and we didn't know as much about about UW at all. And they played really well. And watching watching how explosive the passing game was, and it wasn't, I mean, that wasn't a game where it was Rome or Jalen McMillan going nuts. Like, watching how fun that offense was, there was the safety, that was enjoyable. Um, there's no better celebration. I was actually just telling my wife this about this. The safety is the funnest fan celebration in, in, in sports. Like, that's the funnest thing to celebrate because everybody knows the hand signal. It doesn't happen that often. And it's like an act of abject dominance over your opponent. It's like, we knocked your ass off the field. Like you were, you were battered beyond the bounds of the play. And there was a safety in there. And not only that, but it was initially not called a safety. So you realized it was a safety when the replay, the replay showed on the screen. And then you got everybody making the, the, the triangle sign with their hands. It was awesome. That was my well, favorite game. Plus, you can dance if you want to. Yeah, <laughs> you can leave your friends behind. I think that was because that was that was sort of like okay, this is this is going to be a significant step forward from last year. This isn't going to be uh, we muddle through this year. Like it was like no, it's a good team. This is fun. And then they stole Jeremy Bernard back. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 That's that's correct. That happened. Um. What are your expectations for next year? Because the the schedule is a lot harder. They have mm-hmm. to go to USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, they play they play Utah. They've got uh, I think the the home schedule is more appealing. But and and we'll you know we'll see how it actually shakes out and when their buy is and everything. But are are you I mean are, are you all in on like anything short of a Pac twelve championship is is a disappointment in twenty twenty three based on what they've got back? Yeah, I'll be bummed. 
I'd, I'd be bummed. I think I think they've got a team that should should do that. Like I I, I think that's a that's the clear objective is is qualify for and win win the conference championship. I think you had the best quarterback in the conference this year. Like I know I know Caleb Williams is a really good player. I think Michael Penix was the best quarterback in the conference this year. And and you're going to return everybody. I I don't think Rome is coming back. Um but everybody else is. Like you're returning an incredible amount. More than you could have reasonably expected. And uh, yeah, I I I think even with the schedule being more difficult, um, I I expect yeah I ex- I, I expect I, I I think the the reasonable like you, if you don't win the conference title it'll be a bit of a letdown. I think so too, and, and with that said, like I think they could be as good of or at least maybe a a more balanced team. I expect them to be better defensively. They have to be better defensively. And oh. not win ten games, yeah. Just because the schedule is a lot harder. Um, Oregon State, yeah. Oregon State's going to be an interesting team next year. Yeah, they've got some some guys to replace defensively. They do have a couple a couple key players who have said they're coming back, and they you know we'll see how DJ Uyunglele does within Jonathan Smith's offense. That's a very interesting pickup. Um, they got Damian Martinez back. Yeah, you can pretty much always count on them having a a pretty good O line under Jim Mahalchik, but. Um, you know, Oregon, Oregon just went out and reloaded. Bo Nix is back. Your favorite quarterback. Bo had a really good year. Like I, I, I was, I was very, very negative about him and I was wrong about that. And I mean, honestly, if, if Bo Nix is, is, is healthy for that whole Oregon game, I don't think Washington wins it. Um, you think so? Cause they got the ball back. I mean, he that was him who didn't get the third down, and they held him to a field goal. Yes, but then they had a fourth down conversion, right, that he's not on the field for? You know, that whole series, yeah. Right, and, okay, I'm overstating it. I'm overstating it, but... <laughs> Quite possibly. It hurt, it hurt, their, it hurt their, their chances for sure. Yeah, and you don't know how he would have been if he got back in. Um, so th- I'm overstating it. I don't, I don't, but... Certainly, it was to Washington's advantage that he was not on the field, especially when it was the 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 fourth and short, right? Like that was clearly to Washington's advantage that they didn't have him because he'd been a freaking monster um, in terms of the ring game. Bonick Bonix had a really good year. He did. So it, it's you know Caleb Williams is back at USC, obviously, and um, did UCLA's Dan- got another couple interesting transfers too? Oh, do they? Who who transferred in for them? Well, they just uh, is it Carson Steele, the running back from Ball State. Um, he tr- he just announced his transfer to UCLA. They uh, they took um, oh gosh, the quarterback from Kent State just played at Husky Stadium, Colin Schley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I mean they also got Dante Moore, the 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 twenty twenty three quarterback. So they a- yeah, that's they lose an awful lot. At quarterback, though, like he did an awful lot for that team. Plus the running back, like really they, hard to replace a senior. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you had both. I thought he was the best. Was he the best running back in the conference? The OSU kid's a monster too. I I think Charbonnet was. Yeah, yeah. Charbonnet is really good. Is Martinez the second best? 
Um, he was well. He was also he was the other first team All Conference back, right? Yeah, I mean he was, um, but yeah, Charbonneau, and and a pretty good receiver in Bobo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bobo was a good receiver. Yeah, he was. Uh, he and, and another transfer. Like so, that's you know we've we've been as critical as anybody of Chip Kelly's recruiting. And, yeah. and effort on the trail, but they they like and almost somewhat quietly, I feel like have done a really good job in the portal and have gotten like a ton of like just big time like game changing guys in the portal. Laatu Latu being another one. That makes sense though, right? Like that yeah, makes he <laughs> he literally could not play you know, was not going to be allowed to play at Washington. No, I'm but, even saying like UCLA oh, being a desir- desirable transfer spot. Would you like <laughs> yeah. to come and go to school at Westwood? And and not only yeah. that, but like I mean Chip Kelly, like I do wonder how hard he's recruiting, but like the dude understands like how to run an offense and how to have guys that that are that to feature their speed and showcase themselves for the NFL. Like I don't think I I, I think that's a pretty a pretty good sell for a, a transfer uh, landing spot. Do you think that comes from having worked in the NFL, where he's like, I know what it means to be around professionals, and so if I either either I can wait until the season ends and see which like. 20 21 22 year olds might be available to me or i can put all this effort into bringing in 18 year olds into the program which which would you rather do yeah i so i don't know chip kelly well enough i because i've never i've been around him some in the nfl he's never i've never understood how he recruits in in that the the personality that you see in the press conferences which clearly isn't how he relates to his players but it's never seemed he's not a real energetic interactive person and the times that i've been around him in the nfl he's really sharp like he really understands and i think he actually has a lot of insights about personnel like understanding football personnel he's also incredibly profane like and i say that as an ultimate sign like i love people who can curse well and he is a phenomenal cursor um i it's never kind of quite fit my picture of like, how does he recruit 18 year olds? He's also made a ton of money from the jobs he had in the NFL, being a head coach at two places. So I've always gotten the impression that he's like, yeah, I'm not really that into the recruiting stuff. And UCLA is like, well, we got a really good coach and we wish he recruited a little bit harder, but all things being equal, like I don't know if we're going to get a better overall package. So we'll just live with the fact he's kind of a so-so recruiter, but that that's a, that's a couch potato perspective. I don't have any real insights into what's happened. So are you, the fact that you don't expect Odunze back, is that your fan defense mechanism going up? You just don't want to get your hopes up? That, and I just don't think it makes sense for him to come back. Like, I mean, that's, that's it's not just the, 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 the defense mechanism. I, I think he already would have said he was coming back if he was coming back. And I don't... I think that once a player, like once he really starts measuring, okay, where am I going to go? He's gone because I think he's going to go very high. Like I, I asked him after the Alamo Bowl, and he said he was definitely leaning a certain way. Yeah, but that he needed to, you know, shore it up with his family and put everything. I don't know. I feel like the offensive coordinator goes on the radio and says that that he thinks he's leaning toward coming back, mm-hmm. and then the the player himself says he's leaning a certain way. Yeah. If you only knew those two data points, you would think, oh, well, he's probably coming back then. But like you said, I mean, it does feel like the longer it goes, like at this point, you know, what are you waiting for? Um, but you know, it could just be that it's a really difficult decision. Yes. 
especially like I would imagine after playing for this team this season and this coaching staff, especially if if you're someone who was around in 2021, which he was, even if you know that the right thing to do is to go pro, you know mm-hmm. that the, the the fiscally responsible thing would be to go pro and the best thing for your career would be to go pro. I would imagine it's it's difficult to leave this program right now when you have eligibility left, especially when all your buddies are, are saying they're coming back for another year. Now, all your buddies are not in the the draft position that you are, mm-hmm. you know, that's, so that's the, that's the difference. But um, it, it could be that he, he wants to make absolutely sure that, Hey, if I'm going to go pro, I need, I need as much certainty as possible that my draft stock is going to be at a certain level because I don't, I don't want to leave this program for nothing. That's just me speculating. I don't want to put words in his mouth. It's not like he said anything like that, but I would, I just wouldn't be surprised if that was the thought process. Yeah. So he's, I mean, his build, I don't, I guess I've, I've seen, and maybe he's been clocked. His 40 time is, is probably four five, just under four five. His builds, how aggressive he is to the ball in the air, the way he runs after the catch. And it's also young receivers, the way they're being valued in the NFL with Jamar Chase, with Justin Jefferson, like the the impact that those guys have had, like the formula in the NFL right now is that the best thing that you can do to develop a young quarterback is to go and get them stud receivers. And that the receivers coming out of college now are at such a level that you can. And I don't think Rome's going to be a top 10 pick, but I, I do think like once, once he's in the draft, I don't think he's making it out of the first round. Um, and I just, if, if <laughs> that would be so, and, and it's only going to become more tantalizing the closer it gets to the draft and the further you get away from the season that just completed. So that's, that's my own thing. I also don't want to be one of those. I'm always cautious of putting my own interests as a fan above sort of what the best professional move was from someone. And that's not saying like, Hey, you really should go pro because he should do what he wants. But I, I'm, <laughs> I try to, I, I try, I try to be the carbon offset for the people who are like, Oh, you've only got one chance. It's like, dude, you really just want to root for him again a year and that's okay. But like, that's, that's really, I mean, you want it for you and that's, that's pretty selfish. I have heard, Troy Fautano and Braylon Trice both said something, and it wasn't exactly the same, but it's kind of in the same bucket that I think gets overlooked. That Trice was being asked, like, "Oh, well, what if you know? What if you'd been told you were going to be a first round pick? You know, what then?" And and he was he just kind of like shook his head and was like, "Honestly, man, I just wanted to play another year of college football." And, and I think there's an element of that where it's like, yeah, when when you have the kind of season that they had this year. Being a college, like a college football player who starts and is an all-conference type of guy, like is really fun. And of course, you throw the NIL element into it that you are not, you are no longer assured of earning zero dollars yeah. for your services, and that changes things too. But like, I, I think there is there is an element of like, hey, this was just this was a really fun year, and these guys clearly believe the next year could be even more fun, so they want to be a part of it. Yeah, and I think that's a factor too. Absolutely, and. In that regard, what these guys' careers have been so far and the fact that they went through a year that was almost, well, it was, it, it was what? It wasn't even half a football season, the COVID year. 
and then a year where it was reduced fans and and you also like didn't have the same energy and also your coach got fired in the middle of the year and then you have this incredible season like if that's your past three years you're like yeah man i feel like i kind of got robbed of like i i could have another year like last season and maybe it's even going to be better that would be really fun thank you yes i'd like to do that so we'll see do you think he's staying i don't know I, there was there have been there have been times when I was I mean when Ryan Grubb got on the radio and said he yeah. thought he was leaning toward it I was like okay well that's coming from somewhere you know he's not making that up yeah you know what I, I'll say this I respect Washington's coaches too because they've been pretty straightforward about all of this stuff like and even coaches can be manipulative I thought I I, I thought Pete Carroll at different times with his players leaving USC acted in self-interest and and really kind of leveraged on guys to stay because it helped his program as opposed to what was best for the player's career. And it really seems like Washington's coaches, they, they're more forthright about things. And uh, I might have Homer glasses on when I say that, though. <laughs> like, they're football coaches when it comes down to it. But it seems like like with injuries and that sort of stuff, these guys have been more straightforward. I I would agree. I mean... I don't, I've never covered a coach as straightforward as Ryan Grubb. Yeah. Um, is, is that interesting to cover for you? It is. The, the, the best way I can put it is that you, you ask him questions and he answers them. God, that sounds so awesome. Which is different. It's been so long <laughs> since I've had a coach that I've ever had that, that sort of situation. I mean, it's been years since I've had someone that I could ask a question and that I know that they're going to actually answer it. And, you know, it can cut both ways at times too. Like it's not just it's not just the positive stuff either. Mm-hmm. Like, and there was a there was one. I feel like it was the was it the goal line? They they had two goal line failures at, against Michigan State, right? Where they got mm-hmm. down to like the two yep. yard line, didn't score. And he was asked, you know, you know, what happened, and he's he was like, well, he's like, honestly, we just didn't we we didn't execute it. I thought I thought we had the right call in, and and you know, basically like the guy or guys didn't go where they should have gone. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a, a read on that. That's like, well, as a coach, should you ever, you know, should you ever put it on the players type of thing? And it was, it wasn't like a real aggressive, like, Oh, they screwed it up. I can't believe it. You know, it was, nobody was being thrown under the bus, but the counter to that is, well, if, yeah, if it's, if it's true, like, aren't we asking questions to ascertain the truth? You know? Yes. So like, he's, he's a guy who probably more than any coach you can, you can count on what he's telling you to be what he understands to be the truth. And, you know, it's been one season. We'll see these things evolve, but yeah, they have, I, I would agree. They've been pretty straightforward about things. And like Kalen DeBoer was, was saying before Penix made his decision that he really truly didn't know what he was going to decide that he did think there was a chance that he'd be back, which I, at, at the time I was like, eh, okay, you're just, you know, that's, that's head coach talk. Like, of course you'd like him back, but come on, is he really going to, and then, you know, you saw in the video of the video, right? The, mm-hmm. vid- the video of them watching it at the banquet, like, he was legitimate. He didn't know. He really didn't know. He was legitimately surprised. So th- it, there, have, there have been a number of things like that where even if there might be some initial skepticism in something that they say, the same amount of healthy skepticism that, that you should have toward any football coach, you, you go back later and it's like, okay, well, that, that checked out. Interesting. It's great. It's refreshing. Absolutely fantastic. I cannot tell you how many times where I'm like, I know the, the, the question I'm going to ask. And 
you you know what I'm going to ask you, and I have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to say. You're going to say, and I don't begrudge that because I realize that like most of this is managing expectations and protecting sort of relationships you have with the players as opposed to actually shedding light upon the situation. But uh, it is a novel. I used to say that the NFL is the place where reporting goes to die because it's just a completely abnormal situation in which you're not actually, you have to understand how to listen to what people say to understand what they mean rather than them just communicating with you. I have so much respect for NFL writers who who managed to, to write interesting, unique, differentiated stories. Cause man, there's so much attention on any, any NFL franchise. There's so many people out there asking questions and trying to get information. And it's weird because the access is better than it is in college. Cause you get open locker room. Um, but the, but your access to the, the main players, you know, the starting quarterback, well, there was a time when Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Doug Baldwin and maybe more were were only accessible via weekly press conference. Is that right? That's generally how it works in the NFL is that they have they have scheduled days for when someone will be made available. Like it's it was not possible to ask Russell Wilson a question away from the podium, right? It would be very difficult to you could approach him, but that wasn't happening. Yes, correct. That he, he could and then maybe he would answer it for you and then you would probably get hollered at uh, for breaking protocol or you would have to ask for special permission to go slide in a question to the side and all of those things are built to sort of any material is in the common sort of the set in the in the podium and therefore is controlled in some regard by the team and not only that but you don't like they don't have to they don't have to to be have individual relationships with the people who are asking them questions for the most part. It is, it's a, it's a, it's an extremely bizarre way to go about it's, it's similar to politics in a lot of ways where the most of the actual information you get is through informal um, communication, whether it's, and that became easier with the proliferation of cell phones and texting, but that most of the information you get is not, sort of attributable to the person that's giving it to you. If it is sort of, you're the only one that's getting it because most of the stuff happens in big press conferences. And I suppose it, it underscores the, the classic like journalistic lesson of, well, you, the, the, the best stuff comes from the, the people on the periphery, right? That like you're, if you want to write a really compelling story about a star, like it's not often that the, the, the best content of that story is actually going to come directly from the star. It's the people who like I, you know, I listen to Jeff Perlman's podcast and he's written 10 books or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's got one out now about Bo Jackson and and he talks about how like, yeah, like go through, you know, if you're writing about somebody who played football, like go through the football roster and call like every walk on, you know, mm-hmm. call the, the equipment managers. And because those people love to tell stories of this, this, you know, greatness that they got to be around and they're accessible and, you know, you can have more human conversations and get more. You know, like his book about the Lakers, he probably got his best stuff from the twelfth or thirteenth guy on the bench type of thing. So, it's uh, I like when I like when we bore our listeners with journalism talk. This is a journalism <laughs> podcast now. It can be. Uh, my experience taught me that when you cover high school athletes, they are incredibly excited to talk, 
and it can be very, very forthcoming, and it's extremely interesting, and they're open to talking about pretty much anything. And college athletes, you still have a lot of that same enthusiasm, but by the time they're juniors and seniors, if they're really good players, they've tired of the process and that you're one of about 20 to 25 people that has at different points tried to tell their life story or get them to share these details and they've watched how other people have sort of reconstructed their lives or portrayed them Um, and by the time they get to the pros almost every pro has been through that process and had their life story told at least a dozen times and they have very little interest in going through it again. It's not novel to them and that they're mostly worried about saying something that might end up negatively impacting them. And so they rely upon the stories that they've already told. They kind of have a a biography that's been laid out for better or worse that may or may not be totally accurate, but they've changed as a person over that. And they're, they're less interested in that, that engagement. The best content that comes from NFL players is asking them about things they haven't been asked about before. Um, what happens in a pile? Like those, those sort of things that are non-personal, that are non... And, the, and the, the people that are on the periphery are almost always more interesting. Um, unless it's the star telling you the, in a situation where they know it's not going to come back to them. Um, then they can be exceptionally interesting. But then you're in a situation where you're kind of, you're relying on anonymous sources, which is what uh, a huge chunk we're about to watch in the NFL draft. You watch the number of anonymous sources that, that are used during this process, and it's galling. Like, it's this is where reporting goes to die. Yeah, no, that's that's true. The, uh, the unnamed scout is yes. about to become a superstar. But it's already started. Jalen Carter. There are some. There's some character questions. Like what in the oh, hell does character that mean? Questions. Yeah, Todd McShay was saying that. Like that. What? What? What on earth does that mean? Like what on earth does that mean? It's. It is. It's interesting to cover a college team closely and then see some of those players go through the draft process and and kind of like I remember there was some report about Danny Shelton coming out mm-hmm. about his work ethic or something. And I was just like, what? Like, this, this doesn't align with anything I heard about this guy here. Like, am I, am I that out of the loop or is, or is this just BS? And you get a little bit older and realize, like, well, one of those is, in, in those particular instances, one of those is more likely than the other. The McGarry thing was, it was after he got drafted by Atlanta, right? And Atlanta had picked him in the first round. And then there was a report that something had happened in the locker room I should look it up because I remember the reporter who wrote it. It was uh, Daryl Orland- D. Orlando Ledbetter for the Journal Constitution. I think he quoted a scout saying there was something immature that he'd done, but there was it was along a racial lines because he had he had like turned off the stereo because it was playing hip hop, and and I rem- and and it was it was really it's an unfair way to introduce a player who's just been a first round draft pick and. A couple, I'm trying to think of which players, because I saw players on Twitter saying, like, this description of this, the incident is wrong. Like, that's not what happened. Um, and that, like, saying that they really liked Caleb as a teammate. Uh, 
so it does. It's not it's not fair at all to the players. There's no doubt about that. It is incredibly unfair. It it is a it's a it's a weird part of our industry that never changes. <laughs> and you you I just assume that any any bit of negativity about a prospect that like I don't know to actually be true myself, I just assume it's uh, some team's GM or assistant GM or whatever just putting stuff out there to try to tank someone's stock so they can get them or something like that, right? I mean, because that, that, that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Well, I, I found I found the actual quote from the Atlanta story. Like, it's the quote's worse than I even remembered. Uh, the executive, it was an executive in the NFL had told the reporter this. Uh, he's done some stuff that's just been socially awkward. Uh how one day they play country music and one day they play R&B in the weight room. It was country day and one of the blacks turned on R&B. He got pissed off and cut the cord to the whole speaker system in the weight room. All of the whites and blacks were pissed off at him because they couldn't listen to any music. Socially awkward stuff. Not racist. He just has to grow up stuff. It's like, holy crap. Like, what a terrible... Like, A, there's a basic premise in journalism, right? That if you shouldn't allow someone to take pot shots. If they're going to be critical of someone, they're they're allowed to be critical, but they've got to put their name on it. Like the, you, sh- like that's a general, like I guess a baseline that I've always said is if you're going to rip on someone, like y- your name has to be on it. Like I'm not going to let you through through a story. Like you you can't you can't just say unattributed. Like well, that guy's actually really really a bad person. Like no, you got to put your name on it. And this was like after he got drafted, it was awful. Yeah, there's a. Uh... There are certain things that that a source tells you that you can't go with unless it's confirmed by multiple people, and I'd probably put that in that category. Yeah. Like it's if all, if those multiple people are all anonymous, like that's I'm not against anonymous sources just as a rule, but um, some things you need more corroboration than just this one person said this, and I would I would put that in that category. I looked at it was Kevin King that tweeted back about it. <laughs> Kevin's tweet's pretty funny. This is all wrong. First off, this was his freshman year. It was White Boy Wednesday where we play all country music and someone wasn't respecting and just turned on rap. Caleb stepped up and wasn't having it. The type of O-lineman you want. He's a great teammate and a better man. (laughs) (laughs) That is an all-time great correction. First of all, it was White Boy Wednesday. (laughs) I remember that now, yeah. First of all, <laughs> with that being said, uh, God, uh, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Oh, national championship game on Monday. It's hard are for you, me. To are be- you excited? I'm not. It's hard for me to believe that TCU's in that game. It is, and I mean, all credit to them. They they yep. They won the game fair and square. Um, two pick sixes and, and 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 a bad two, overruled touchdown. Right, that's a game that that Michigan probably usually wins. They got to, and they've got to feel hosed, right? Like they've got to feel hosed. Like they, they had a touchdown where the dude bounced into the end zone and grabbed it, and then they're like, "No, no, it's on the one," and then they fumbled it away, and it's their own fault. Like I'm not going to sit there and say, but Michigan's got to be sick about that game. So sick, especially now that Jim Harbaugh is going to leave. Yeah, you think he's going to? I think he's. I know gone. we reported that. I think he's gone. Um, yeah, he's lasted there longer than he has at his previous jobs, and he wears on people. Like if you going to it, like even at 
at USD, then at Stanford, then at San Francisco, like all three of those places, after about four years, everybody around him was done, even though they were winning like they'd never won before or had not won recently. And he's been there twice as long at Michigan. Like, I, I, I'm sure that everybody there is really sick of that dude. See, but they, they gave him the chance to, like, restructure, and they did, and then they got to two consecutive playoffs. So are they more sick of him now than they were when they weren't winning at the level that they wanted, and they still let him stick around and figure it out? Yeah, because I think they feel they're in a better position to hire his successor right now, and they're not going to have to pay to fire him. That would be my guess. Yeah. Maybe well, I'm wrong. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Can... And maybe nobody's like people were like, I think he's actually a desirable head coach in the NFL. And I've been told by other people that I'm wrong about that. And that like, no, nobody thinks it's going to work. And that they, they believe that Greg Roman, um, like people understand that Greg Roman did a lot of the offense that, that, that they wanted. Um, I'd love to see him with Denver. I can't stop thought, thinking about that. I think that would be freaking hilarious. We can start up the uh, Kalen DeBoer, Michigan rumors. No, he doesn't have any tie to Michigan, does he? I guess it's close <laughs> to South Dakota. No, take take the most like generous encircling of the Midwest states that you can. Mm-hmm. And if if any desirable head coaching job comes up at any school in that area, uh, someone's going to mention Kalen DeBoer's name. So, I'm not one of those delusional fans that will sit there and say, "Like I think he's at Washington forever." Um, and he's he's obviously on uh he's had an incredible incredible trajectory on his coaching career and if if he is interested in it he's going to be certainly capable of getting better jobs down the road than the one that is currently at Washington. I also wonder if he might be someone that ends up going to the NFL as opposed to taking that higher rung cuz there's there are better college coaching jobs than Washington but there aren't that many of them. And it's pretty perilous when you make that leap. Like a lot of guys that make that leap don't end up lasting at it. And there's part of me that's wondered, like maybe instead of doing that, he ends up he ends up going to he ends up going to the NFL uh, if he's looking to further his coaching career. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I see him as an NFL guy, but you never I mean, you never know, right? Like nobody is until they are. <laughs> yeah, his offense. His offense does some stuff with space, man. Like he loves he loves football for yeah, sure. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of a prerequisite. Yeah, it'd be it'd be it'd be very very interesting. And and the the prototype for the NFL coach is certainly changing. Um, the ability to communicate with and um, relate to players in a different way, like the the cult of the coach is is dead. Like you're not going to have like even. Like what we were talking about with Sarkeesian, that kind of the angry, yelling, like kind of having an edge to it, like that is becoming a less, like the 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 types of coaches that you see having more success are more emotionally restrained and more able to relate to players as opposed to sort of the top-down authoritarian approach. Yeah, that's true. I, I think regardless... That you're probably a few years away from from having to think about Kalen DeBoer leaving Washington. I do think he he thinks he's found a, a place where he can win big at, and I think he wants to explore that yeah. and put down roots and and just see where he can take this thing. Um, How old are his kids? So he has a he has a daughter who is a softball player, right? Yeah, she's committed to play at UW. I think she's a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then he has a younger daughter. Um, I don't I don't know exactly how old she is, but she's she's younger. It'd be interesting to see how that plays into sort of the because coaches and coaches family like they've moved around a ton. Um, yeah, I mean, he kind of laughed at his at his introductory press conference. He was asked about that, and he was like, "Yeah, my family, they're all nodding their head, yes, like they, you know, they want to put down roots and and not keep moving around. Like it's it's weird because he doesn't cut the profile of a a you know quote unquote climber mm-hmm. so to speak, but you look at his. I mean, you look at his history and it's like, well, but he has, you know, he, he, he was at Fresno for two years and in Indiana for a year, Fresno for two years. Now he's at Washington. And, um, but I think he was at Sioux Falls for a really long time Yes, and had kind of done everything he could do there. Mm-hmm. And only after he'd, you know, won multiple national championships, did he say, okay, now I want to, I want to go do this at a higher level. So I'm going to see if I can get an OC job. And it's, it's all been. Like there haven't been any lateral moves for him, and I think right now, he, you know, I'm not inside his head, and again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think right now he would see a move from Washington to to most other programs as a lateral move. Yeah. And well, why why would I do that when I just won 11 games at this school, signed a contract extension, I've got things going, I've got my quarterback, you know, so mm-hmm. I'd be I'd be surprised to see him leave for for pretty much any job um but with that said you you never know yeah. i mean who thought who thought brian kelly was going to leave notre dame for lsu who thought lincoln <laughs> riley was going to leave oklahoma for usc my family <laughs> so can i can i share my biggest college football hot take yes I, I don't hear the exaggerated accent nearly to the degree in that clip that that seemingly everybody else does oh really like it's okay it's got some bayou in it but it's not like I I kept watching that clip expecting like, am I missing something here? I didn't think it was that exaggerated. I thought it was clearly different than the way he normally talked. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's a little, I don't know. I thought it was a little bit overplayed. And I give him credit for like being a good sport about it too. He's had a good sense of humor about it since then. Yes, and he's also done the goofy recruiting videos that showed a better sense of humor about himself. I loathe Brian Kelly. Like, and like, I really don't like Brian Kelly and I've had people, well, Mike Varell who covered him at Notre Dame he picked has, up the Cheez-Its. He yeah, ate the Cheez-Its. He's, he's told me, he's told me that like Kelly's a much nicer person and, and Mike would know like Mike clearly has a better and more exposure to him. But like, I really don't. I, I, I thought that, that Brian's fit in down there better than I thought he would. Um, and actually shown a little bit of a sense of humor. Um, speaking of Louisiana accents, uh, this will be at the risk of going into a little bit of politics, but um, there's currently a debate on on the on the House floor regarding the Speaker of the House, and Representative Clay Higgins from from Louisiana yesterday tweeted out, uh, "I suspect, to my horror, that there may well be some Frankenstein coalition created from this impasse, an abhorrent manifestation of House rule that America has never witnessed and the American people have never authorized." And that was immediately followed by everyone saying that you needed to read it aloud in the voice of Benoit Blanc. <laughs> I was just, I was just thinking that. I, I suspect just... to my horror that there may well be some Frankenstein coalition created by this impasse. I, uh, it reminds me of the Office episode where they they do the the murder mystery game. Yeah, and. <laughs> And they're tr- like they're trying their best Southern accents, and Andy's like, "Well, no, you want, you want this is more of a Savannah." 
like molasses <laughs> dripping out of your mouth. I suspect to my horror. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that movie the other day. Is it good? You know, it's it's uh it's good if you don't think too much about it. Yeah. It, it's entertaining. It's not as good as uh, as Knives Out. Knives Out but, was good. I enjoyed that. Did you um, did you agree with Ben Shapiro the his his analysis of Knives Out uh, of the Glass Onion? I don't. I have no idea. Uh, you, you're familiar with who uh, who Ben Shapiro is? Yes, I Cons- know who he is. Conservative yeah. commentator. Um, <laughs> he uh, he. <laughs> He said, we only find out about the actual murder we're supposed to investigate a full one hour and ten minutes into the film, as well as an entirely new backstory, he complained. <laughs> but he's, he complained because they were dishonest in their writing because he was misled. Well. <laughs> like, it is... It is kind of funny that you're complaining about there being a twist in a whodunit. <laughs> there were some things, and I don't want to, not to give away too many spoilers, but I, there, was, there are some things where after the fact you're like, mm, that's a little... Christian, agrees, right. Christian agrees with Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> Christian shares Ben Shapiro's taste in movies. I don't like twists. <laughs> I didn't realize this was an M. Night Shyamalan film. <laughs> um, nah, Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Uh, I saw he's got some new thing out. I was like, dude, I, I, I stopped watching that dude's movies 20 years ago. Oh, it turns out it was, uh, it was not what you thought. <laughs> the, the end. Uh, uh, that's the twist. The podcast is over. <laughs> To my horror, this episode of Say Who Say Pod has come to a close. A Frankenstein coalition of mishmash takes and inanity. You can see the bolts coming out of Danny's neck. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the championship game. Your last taste of college football for a long time. Uh, but we'll do what we can to fill the void throughout the offseason. Take care, everybody.